you can open up in your Bibles. We're going to be over in 1 Kings chapter 21. And I wonder how many of you have been through this, kind of like I have. How many of you can remember back when vending machines were what took quarters and dimes and nickels? And then after a while, the vending machines started to cost more. And they decided to expand the vending machines, and the vending machines began to take dollar bills. And you could put a dollar bill in and get change. And that was a good thing because a lot of times we carried dollar bills, we didn't always carry change. How many times have we carried change or don't carry change and we walk up to a place and we need a change? Oh, this one needs a quarter. This one needs whatever it might be and we just don't have it. So they took dollar bills and so we seem to have them a little bit more often. But have you ever gone up to a vending machine and put the dollar bill in the vending machine only to have the dollar bill rejected and sent back out to you. And so you take that dollar bill and you, you crease it, you fold it all out nice and straight, get it all, all straight, and you feed it through again, and it comes back out. But you don't have any other change. All you have is the dollar bills. And so you... Try one more time, you flip it around another direction, maybe that's what it just needs. It just needs another direction and you, and you put that through. And again, it's rejected. But if you have several dollar bills in your pocket, pocketbook, wallet, whatever it might be, it might be that you have a choice of which dollar bills you would select. And so I have a couple of dollar bills here before me. And if you had a choice of which dollar bills to select, how many of you would select this one? If you were going to put the dollar bill into the vending machine, how many of you think this one looks like a good selection? It's got a little tear out over on this part, a little folded over, kind of wrinkled. How many of us would not put that through the vending machine? Now this one's a little bit more crisp. No, no rips. If you had your choice of which dollar bill you were going to put into the vending machine, which dollar bill would it be? You would try first off with this one before you would go to this one. It seems that very often, folks, we make better choices as which dollar bill we put into the vending machine than what answer we give people when they ask us a question. That sometimes... We give people an answer that looks more like this. The beat up, torn dollar bill more so than the one that is crisper. And when people reject our answers, we get mad at them. How dare they reject my answer? How dare they get mad at me for the answer that I gave them? But you see, we do... Better with selecting dollar bills for vending machines than we do for answers when people ask us questions. We're going to look at a person today who answered a question. And because of his answer, he lost his life. Last week, we were looking at the fiery furnace and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not bow 
their knee when the music was played. And that made the king, let's give you a multiple choice answer, that made the king happy. That made the king sad. Or that made the king mad. That made the king mad, didn't it? He was really mad. This is, these are three people that he liked, so he tried to call them back again and gave them a second chance. Can we talk about that in that favor? To have a second chance to do something? And they said, we don't want that favor. We don't need a second chance. You can go ahead and start the music if you want to. Whether you do or you don't, doesn't matter to us. We're not going to bow. We're not going to give in on this thing. We gave you this last one. If your goal is to get along, your reward will not be favor. Favor is not getting along with people. That's not how we get favor. If they wanted to get along, they could have certainly just gone along with the program. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. In the end... Even though the king was mad, he dipped the furnace seven times hotter and threw them into it, expecting them to die. And they didn't. When they came out, he promoted them. And they had just gotten a promotion. But he promoted them again. That's favor. That's the better kind of favor. But they got that favor because they didn't give in to the one that looked like favor. If you're not willing to have some people mad at you, you will not be one upon whom the favor of God comes upon. You have to be willing to stand up for some things. We saw Daniel did it. We saw his buddies did it. We've seen other people have done it in the Word as well. Proverbs 3 and verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Here's the Here's the big verse. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. And as we told you over the weeks, we've been looking at favor. Favor is not found because we ask God for it. Favor is found because we live the way of favor. Favor has a way for us to live. And if we live that way, favor will come to us. Favor will come to us from God and favor will come to us from other people. But God does not have the favor of other people to give to you. So if you ask God for other people's favor, He doesn't have it. Remember the whole premise we started this series off with, who has what it is that you need? Because sometimes we think God has it and it might be in the hands of other people. Sometimes we think God has it and it might already be in our own hands. If we're asking God for things He already gave us, we're not likely to receive them from God. Just like if your boss already gave you your paycheck... And you came to him and you say, I need my paycheck. You're not likely to get that from him, are you? No, you've already got it. If we ask God for things we've already received, that's a lack of faith. If we ask God for things he doesn't have, that's a lack of understanding of the word. And faith comes from knowing the word of God. We've got to hear the word of God. We've got to know what the word of God says. And that's how we get faith. We have much still to go into for those other areas. We're still in this one. What happens when something that we need is in the hands of other people? And that brings us here to 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. 
So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, for, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. Now his offer is not a bad offer. If somebody came up to you and they saw you driving around in your Toyota Camry, and they, uh, they saw you driving around this thing, and it's an old Toyota Camry. And they decided they wanted to upgrade you. And they said, I will give you a 2017 Mercedes-Benz of your choice. How many of you would say that's an upgrade? That's an upgrade. It's all right. How many of you would receive that? Take that. Yes. Trade in your little Toyota Camry. And get that Mercedes-Benz. That'd be all right. So what he's offering him here, he says, look, you got this vineyard over here. Uh, I really need this, this particular area. And um, you pick what vineyard you want. I'll, get, I'll find you one. I'll get you a better one. We'll get you one that has more land, more trees. It's more profitable. Whatever it is, we're going to get you a better one if that's what you want. If not, I'll pay you the money for the vineyard. And then you can do whatever you want. Maybe he doesn't like the vineyard business. Just because his father was a person who had a vineyard and his father before him doesn't mean that he necessarily likes it. Maybe he's just doing it because this is all he has. Maybe this would be his opportunity to get out of being a vineyard keeper and go out and do something else. But he wants to buy the vineyard or get the vineyard because what he wants is a vegetable garden. Now, just think about this. For this king, money is no object. What is profitable, more profitable, a vineyard or a vegetable garden? What has the most profit? A vineyard. I mean, that's, that's hands down, isn't it? This vineyard has kept this family in food and supply for many generations. So it's a pretty decent vineyard. If you turn it into a vegetable garden, what are you going to get out of it? <laughs> Apparently not nearly as much the vineyard would have a higher price tag on the, what it yields. So he's going to take something that produces money and turn it into something so that he can get fruits and vegetables instead of having going down to the market. Not going to produce as much money. Because he doesn't care about money. He's going to buy it for more than it's worth to use it for less than it's being used for. But that's his his prerogative if he wants to buy it for for that i mean if somebody wants to buy your car and give you twice what it's valued do you care what they're going to do with it no they're buying your car they're giving you more money than it's worth you you bought it go out there and do what you want hmm. have you ever sold a house and then driven back to see what the people who bought the house are doing with it now. Have you ever done that? I think all of us have. At some point, we've uh, driven back to either our childhood house or a house that we had before and we're near the neighborhood. I just want to go by there and see what they're doing. <gasps> they took out all those bushes we put in. You know how long we spent doing those bushes? And the flowers are all gone. Oh, what happened to that house we put in the backyard? We built a house back there for the kids to play on and it's gone. What did they do with it? 
You begin to think about these things, right? You can almost get offended because they painted the house a different color, a color that you don't like. Right? Well, is it their right to do it? Yeah, they bought it. They're right to do whatever they want. Now, among the many accomplishments that Ahab had done, there was a castle at Jezreel he had built, and this vineyard was part of his home improvements. These are some of the things he wants to do. So he sees this, uh, this vineyard, and he wants to do some things to improve the house, and so we're going to make this house have a vegetable garden with it, so whenever I'm over here, we can have that. So he has an idea. He has an idea. He gets into this idea. He says, I want, this would be his idea, I want to have a vegetable garden close to the house so that I can get fresh lettuce and fresh tomatoes and fresh whatever vegetables. Just go out there, have the cooks. They can just go on out there and get the vegetables and bring them on in and make our house. Because Ahab is not going out to the vegetable garden to pick the vegetables and to make the meal. He's got people for that. So he's, uh, he wants his next to him. So it's not really making his life any easier. They can go to the market and it doesn't um, so skin off his back, so to speak. But he develops this idea of getting this vegetable garden right here near the house. That develops a need. I need some land. So he looks around what's there and there's this vineyard. Now, if you're going to turn a vineyard into a vegetable garden, you've got to do a lot of pulling out. And those vines or trees or whatever it is that's in the vineyard they're rooted it's going to take a little while to get all those things out but I guess of all the things he looks around for this is the best option that he's got and so he goes over and he makes them an offer verse 3 but Naboth said to Ahab now remember who Ahab is Ahab is not a good king he's a bad king one of the ways you can tell if a king is a good king or if a king is a bad king is, is the king from the north or the south? If the king is from the north, the northern tribes, he's a bad king. Because every single one of them was a bad king. They may have been good before they took the throne, but by the time they took the throne, they were bad. They were a bad king. Ahab is a bad king. Here's the answer. The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. All right. Now, when you have something written in here, you can't always tell how this is written. Is it, is it how it is stated? Is it stated like this? Oh, Ahab, you know, man, I like you. You're my favorite king. But you know, the Lord forbid that I would give the inheritance of my fathers to anyone, even you. I mean, that's one way you could say it, with that kind of an attitude. Or you could say it like this. The Lord forbid that I ever give the inheritance of my fathers to people like you. Now, you would get a different response at the second one, more so than you would the first one. It just seems to me the way it's worded. The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. It does not sound like this is a very favorable Response, if I am going to think about how this has been done, I am thinking that Naboth considered the answer and gave him the crinkled up, ripped up dollar bill. And how does the vending machine take the crumpled, wrinkled, ripped up dollar bill? Rejected. How did Ahab take this answer? 
He rejected it. Didn't like it. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Now that answer was shortened just a little bit. I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. In the verse before it said, I will not give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Which might imply that there are some people I might give it to. But you are not one of them. So it is possible that this is a little harsh. Remember Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. So of the two ways we can go, we could give the soft answer that turns away wrath, or we can give the harsh answer, the crimped up, ripped dollar bill, which stirs up anger, stirs up strife. How you answer a person when they ask you for something can certainly dictate the way you respond or the way they, they respond to you. How many times have you asked something of someone? Boss, can I have a raise? And the answer that they give you can elicit all kinds of responses. If they came to you and you say, Boss, I need a raise. And you say, Oh, you are, you are my best worker. You are the guy I depend on the most. You are the one that this seems like that you're the oil in this machine. Right now, we are just having a hard time even making ends meet. If I could, I would give you a raise. I just can't right now. Can you be patient with me? And as soon as we get around this corner, I will find a way to get you a raise. If you left the meeting there, you don't have a raise, but how many of you are feeling better? Now, if they came to you and they said, a raise for you? (laughs) For you want a raise? What do you think you've done to deserve a raise? Now, how many know that sets you off a little bit? That answer can, uh, can push you, you back a little bit. Because you're beginning to think about, hmm, well, I'm here early. I'm here every day. I, I know this week, three people called out of their shift. I'm here. I'm here doing I stayed later when you needed me to stay later. I get more work done during my shifts than you get done from other, other, any other people. And you begin to go over all these things for a while, you should, but you don't say anything. <laughs> you just kind of go off. But it cultivates a response on the inside of you. And that person that you ask something of, when they ask, answer you harshly, you don't have favor toward them, and you don't seem to be getting favor from them. You're getting a no. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if, I, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Now, it says that he ate no food. So, there must have been some time that, a, that, a, that a, um, went by here. Because you don't come in from this conversation and go to your room and sit there for 15 minutes and someone come in to you and say, how come you're not eating? You must have missed the meal. You must have missed maybe two meals. And after two meals, the queen says, I need to go find out what's going on. Why aren't you eating? What's going on with that? I'm sad. 
I'm sad. Now, have you ever put on an act for people? Or seen people who do it? Maybe little kids, you know, they'll come in, you, you get, they don't get the answer they want. And um, they start putting on the act. And they collapse on the floor. They go upstairs in their bed and they cry in their pillow. You call them for dinner. I'm not hungry. You want to go out and get some ice cream? No. Why are you so sad? Because you wouldn't give me this thing. And it just ruined their life, it seems, because the thing they wanted. That's what he's going through. Now, you kind of expect that out of little kids, but when people get to be a certain size, how many of you, you don't expect this anymore? But that's how he's acting. He may have been acting this way because he knew what kind of person his wife was, that she was more ruthless than he, and that uh, if I show her I'm really sad, maybe she'll find a way. Maybe she will find a way. So he goes over this event with Jezebel, but he leaves out why he's not giving them the vineyard. He doesn't give out all the, all the, all the uh, reasons. He just says, I will not give you my vineyard. Now, that's a different answer from the one he got. He made it as a kind of a religious thing. This is the inheritance of my fathers, and it's not right. And there are some things in the Old Testament about giving away your inheritance. So he did have some scriptures that he could have stood on. Verse 7, Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now, does she have it? Does she have the right for it? No. But she says, I will give it to you. That should send off alarms. For someone who wants to give you something they do not have, that's um, not something you should go along with. She wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and see two men scoundrels before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Take him out and stone him that he may die. Take him out and stone him that he may die. Hmm. Now, the fast is often proclaimed when a land was under under or threatened by a curse, it was either under a curse or was threatened by a curse, or there was some undiscovered sin. Something's going on. A fast was called for these kind of situations. I gave you some scriptures there. You can go and reference those if you like to. But there's a deception that's going on here. Beware anytime someone wants to put greater honor on you than you know you deserve. If anyone wants to say something that is of greater honor than you deserve, alarm bells should go off. If someone wants to put you in a place of honor greater than you know you have deserved, alarm bells should go off. Don't go along with someone who wants to put greater honor on you than you have deserved. So beware of greater honor than you deserve. This is, this is along the lines of flattery. You know, what is flattery? Flattery is just giving you compliments that you don't deserve. Oh, you're so beautiful. That's great. If you are. 
But what if you go up to someone who is just um, not beautiful? And you begin to tell them how beautiful they are. And, and you don't mean it. It's flattery. It seems like, you know, on, if you're on TV, you know, that's just generally where the beautiful people go, right? Put them on TV because they have pleasant voices to, or pleasant faces to look at. I've heard many people make this, this comment. I have a face for radio. I've heard a number of people say that. I have a face for radio. What's that mean? It's not that pretty. I've heard uh, this said before too, that, that uh, politics... Politics is Hollywood for the ugly. I don't know. That seems, they don't have to be quite as beautiful as the people in Hollywood, but they get all the publicity and such things like that. So it's uh, just one of those things. Beware of greater honor than you deserve. But look what they say here. You have blasphemed God and the king. These are a king and queen who have set up idols. These are a king and queen who support prophets for false gods. Elijah had a run-in with them on this. If you remember on the mount with the fire coming down, burning up the altar and all that. These are not king and queen who care about God, let alone those who would blaspheme him. But they're in this because there's still some people who fear God. And if we say that he cursed God and the king... If they don't like the king, they'll be mad because he cursed God. If they like the king but don't like God, you know, we'll, we'll get them one way or the other. So they have no, absolutely no idea or no uh, interest in protecting God. But they make this, this statement here. This is kind of like what we're having going on here today as far as the, the current events of things. I, uh, I was making some notes on some of the some of the stuff that has been going on this week. And when I, when I think about our society, our society a number of years ago, decades ago, redefined what life was. And they came up with a, life, a definition of life that life begins at birth. I mean, remember that. But we as Christians believe that life begins when? At conception. And so they redefined life. And put us into a category who didn't accept that definition. Sometime later they decided to redefine truth. And we found out that the news medias, the papers, and the radios, and the TVs were promoting things to be truth that weren't truth because they redefined what truth was. Truth was what people would accept. Truth was what they could make you believe. And so they altered video, altered audio, created reports that never existed before, all for the purpose of fabricating truth. They redefined truth. But many in the Christian circle, we didn't accept their redefinition of truth, and we stayed with what we knew to be truth from the Word of God. The definition of God was challenged. Who God was. And this was opened up so that other people who worshiped other gods, could be seen as worshiping God. And so the definition of God was challenged. And suddenly, the people who are in false religions all serve the same God because we've changed the definition of who God is and how we worship that God. 
But many in the Christian circles, we didn't accept this redefinition of God or this redefinition of worship. Of, of late, we've tried to redo, redefine marriage. So the marriage was no longer between a male and a female, but marriage could be just about anything. Not just between a male and a male and a female and a female, but you, there are some people, people who want to marry their dog. There is a new movement out. I think I talked about this to you before. It shocked me when I first heard it. But people are out there marrying themselves. There's a term for it. It's a weird term. It doesn't sound like what they're trying to describe, but if you see how it's broken down, you figure it out. But they even have a term for that. You can marry yourself. People have whole ceremonies. They're the only one there. They marry themselves. They marry their cat. They marry their dog. So the definition of marriage was changed. The definition of a family was changed. The definition of male and female was changed so that we could not have just two bathrooms. Or anyone who wanted to could use whichever bathroom they wanted because the definition of male and female was changed. Now we have a redefinition of what it is to honor the flag and a redefinition of what it is to be a patriot. We've redefined it. Certain people have. And we have decided that pledging or standing there while they sing the national anthem, we've changed that definition. And now that definition means that if you stand for the national anthem, that you are a racist or that you don't support injustice or you support injustice or the number of things that would go on. But what happened is, not only have the Christians not accepted this, but America has not accepted this. And people have turned off the TV for those to try and feed into them this idea of standing for the national anthem. See, this was never an issue before until someone decided to come along and redefine what the national anthem was. And then pressure came on that you had to accept that definition. Now, last week was appalling. In my, in my book, it was appalling. And uh, I watched the last quarter of the Eagles game because I was busy doing other stuff. I got home, watched the last quarter of the Eagles game. I watched probably the worst quarter that they played in the whole thing, but of course had the big exciting finish. So uh, I stayed on there and watched the show that came on afterwards and reviewed the stuff around the league. And I didn't even know that all the league was playing and all this stuff, but apparently all around the league, whole teams decided to do some kind of show of unison. And so either the whole team knelt or the whole team stood or the whole team locked arms or the whole team stayed in the locker room or the whole team did something. And I even uh, saw one of the things that the Dallas Cowboy owners put up and I was impressed with what he put up. He says, nobody on the Dallas Cowboys will kneel for the national anthem or you will be fired. Something along those lines. They said, well, apparently they're, they're carrying out of that was that we shall all kneel before the national anthem and then we will all stand during it. Now, what this does is it has taken all choice away. We were talking about this on Friday. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And what we're doing is taking all that liberty away. And now, the people who have done what is standard definition before a sports game, you all come together and you all be united because as soon as this song is over, there's your side and my side. (laughs) 
And we're battling each other from that point on. But for this part, we all get together and we're all on the same side. Just kind of remind ourselves of that before the game gets started. And that's what the national anthem was. It's a time to honor our military. It's always been a time to honor our military. We had the flyovers. We had the people in the military who were present. It has always been a time to honor our military. And suddenly, people want to define it and say it's not. Now, apparently, America wasn't going over this all that well. And so what they decided was, how many has heard it this week? The players are trying to redefine what they did. Well, what we did is nothing against the national anthem. This is what they're saying. Then why does it always happen during the national anthem? Don't accept the redefinition of stuff. It's not right. It's not godly. I heard one person say, if these folks really want to make a difference, like what they're saying they want to make a difference for, why don't all those people take their time, go out to the schools and tell people how to make good choices? Because they made good choices. That's what got them to the National Football League because not everybody gets there. Most people aren't good enough. You've got to make some good choices along the way. You've got to say no to some stuff and yes to some other stuff. They get you developed and get you into that, that spot. Why don't they go into the schools, talk to the kids about making good choices? I'd say that'd be a whole lot more of a difference than what they're doing now. But you know, when they bring these new definitions of marriage, new definitions of male, new definitions of female, new definitions of all this crazy stuff that they want to do, and they begin to bring it into your TV shows, what do you do with that TV show? I turn it off. I don't want that stuff coming into my house. When the news got to be so bad that it wasn't promoting the truth anymore, I turned them off. I don't want that stuff coming into my house. And it used to be that the National Anthem wasn't even on TV. They would come in after the National Anthem was over. But now you'll see it all through, especially if there's a protest. They'll keep flashing back to it and showing it to you. So you have that choice. Now my choice is I haven't said I'm not going to turn the game on anymore. But... I'm way down, even from what I was last year. I don't. I may put it on the record and maybe decide later if I'm going to watch it or not. But I just, I don't need this redefinition handed to me. And if if I decide to do that, there'll be some people who try and pressure me and tell me, "Oh, you're not for this, or you're not for that, or this injustice and all that sort of stuff." And I'm against injustice, no matter who it happens to. But did you know that last last weekend there was a church shooting? wasn't covered much in the media because they spent so much time on the national anthem. But there was a Somalian, Somalian refugee who walked into a church and shot six people, one of which was a mother of two, and the pastor and some other people shot them. How many of you did not hear about that on the news at all? How many did hear it? Probably because you're going to other news sources and not the normal, normal channels. You'll, you'll find out about this. But you see, that wasn't news because it didn't fit their, their uh, agenda. The news media has an agenda, folks. Don't let them get it in on you. They want to stir up racial strife. If they can have something that is done from one race against another and it fits their agenda, they will promote it. If they had the same thing happen from one race to another race but it doesn't fit their agenda, they will not promote it. They're out to promote an agenda. Don't, don't listen to it. Refuse to buy into it. I don't like injustice if it's done from a black cop to a white person or a white cop to a black person. I don't care what the color of the skin was. Injustice should be stopped. And there might be some injustice going on with our police force, but thank God for our police force. I thank God that most of the folks in the police force are good folks. And there are some bad ones. You know what? There's some bad pastors too. 
There's some pastors who do some bad things. There's some police officers who do some bad things. There's some firefighters who do some bad things. There's some teachers who do some bad things. There's professors in colleges who do bad things. That doesn't mean the whole group is wrong. It means every occupation you got, you got some bad people. So don't let these folks get stir up any strife, stir up any race, racial stuff. And if people are posting things on your Facebook and you're seeing, you don't like what they're saying, you know, just let it go. I got a, my policy on Facebook is this. I see most all of what you guys post. Because you know how many friends I have on Facebook? I think it's a little over 200. That's, I mean, most people are 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. They got a lot on there. I got people from school. I got professors. I got uh, folks like that. If I don't know you, you don't get on. I'm not just looking to get those numbers up. So most of the time on my feed, I'm seeing most of the things that people are putting on. If you write something about a racial thing and I don't like it, I leave it alone. If I like it, then I like it. It's pretty simple. I don't need to go in there and give a harsh answer and stir stuff up. If you post something, I say, well, that's garbage. I just leave it alone. (laughs) I don't need to mess with it. If you don't like something that I posted and you put something on it and said so, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. I'll probably just leave it alone. (laughs) I probably won't mess with it. You can uh, handle it the way that you want to handle it. I am not going to get bothered because somebody from church or somebody from my circles gave me a bad answer. Because you see, if they give me a bad answer and I reject it, who's it on? It's on me. You won't always get nice, crisp, clean dollar bills from people when they ask you for things or when they do some things. So some of those, hey, you know what? If I was the vending machine, I'd say, I'm going to ignore those rips and those wrinkles and I'm just going to accept this and just move on. Just don't get yourself all upset. Don't get yourself all worked up. That's what the news media wants. The news media is not caring one bit about the issue that the players say they are standing for. What the news media cares about is that our nation is divided. They just care to stir up division. I won't give in to them on that. I'm not going to be divided. If somebody has a political opinion that's different from mine, I won't divide myself from them. I'm still going to love on them, and I'm still going to go on. I don't know if you heard about this, but it got so bad last Sunday, I didn't know about this, but I had high hopes going into Sunday that Daryl's team would knock off a rival in our, in our uh, division because the Oakland or L.A. or whatever they call themselves now, Raiders was playing the Washington Redskins, and I wanted the Washington Redskins to lose. And Oakland has been playing really good football. And I was watching the score when I saw, why is Oakland losing this game? And I didn't know why they were losing. And they lost the game. And I said, well, I guess Washington just showed up and Oakland didn't. I, I didn't know what else to think of it. Then I read an article that apparently what happened in that game. Anybody find out what happened in that game? Daryl, did you find out what happened in that game? Apparently there was some not disunity on the team. And the quarterback decided to stand for the national anthem. And all five linemen decided to kneel. 
and a team who had not given up a sack. I believe they had not given up a sack the entire year. And I believe it even goes back to last year. They had one of the best offensive lines. They're not giving up any sacks. Allowed their quarterback to be sacked four times in one game. Not only did they do that, but they, let, they, they hiked the ball in a wrong way so that I believe at least one was fumbled. And they did it intentionally. They threw the game because their quarterback did not kneel. That's where it gets to. That's wrong. They even could have risked hurting their quarterback, and I believe David Carr had a great year last year and is having a good year this year. But you see, there's a difference between the race of the quarterback and the race of the lineman. And they decided to make it an issue. That's sad. If you want to find out what side God is on, God is on the side where there's liberty. Not on the side that says, you must bow to this golden image I have set up. That's not God. God does not even say, you must bow to me. He said, I'm God. If you bow, great. If not, you'll bow later. But it won't be good. But it's up to you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Don't get in bondage. Don't think people have to think and do the same way that you are. That's the wrong kind of bondage to be in. Stay in the, stay in the side of liberty. Don't fall into the, the other stuff. Verse 13, and two men. Uh, we didn't finish all the other ones, did we? Hang on a minute, it's going back. Verse 11, so the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his, his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, and as it was written in the letters which she sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. In other words, we got the accusation. We're going to kill him before we can prove whether those accusations are true or not. So they took him right outside and they killed him. It does not tell you here in this passage, but his sons were stoned with him. I gave you the reference for that, but in Deut- I'll read this. Uh, well, let me read this part for you first. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on a testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on a testimony of one witness. So that's why they got two people out there. Uh, Deuteronomy 19:15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So again, two or three is what we're looking for. Is Exodus 20 and verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that's what these guys were doing. They're bearing false witness. Now in 2 Kings chapter 9, I'm just going to read verse 26 for you. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons. The blood of his sons, says the Lord. And I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. So his sons were killed. But the word of God specifically says that the son shall not be put to death for the sins of the fathers. But that didn't matter here because we're not trying to follow the word of God. We're just using the word of God as an occasion, as a screen to make what we're doing look good. But the children of the murderers he did not execute. 
according to Second Kings 14.6. But the children of the murderers he did not execute, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. But by putting the children to, get, uh, to death together with Naboth, they eliminated the heirs. You see, if you just killed Naboth, there's heirs and they would inherit the, the vineyard. The goal is to get the vineyard. So therefore, we obey the word in that we're, we're defending God, but we're going to put the sons to death because it doesn't fit our, 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 what we want to accomplish here. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now why would the king get the land? Anybody ever ask that question? Why does the king get the land if the heirs are killed? Why doesn't it go up for auction? Why doesn't it go up for sale? How is it he gets to just walk in and take the land? I'll put this in your outline for you so that you get it. There is no law directing this, but it followed a pattern in the Mosaic law. As the goods of an idolater were devoted, or kerim is the word in the Hebrew, to God, so the goods of a traitor were devoted to the king. So because they had him as disobeying or blaspheming God and the king, they could put it in there as traitor, and therefore his stuff was given to the king. That's how he took it. Verse 17, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Anytime that someone is bringing what you are doing, what someone is doing to truth and exposing it, they are always seen as the enemy. It's done today. It's done here. Verse 21, Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. That's what he did to Naboth. He cut off the, all the males. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So Elijah's message is basically this. Disaster, removal, and disgrace. Disaster will come upon the house. He will be removed and disgrace shall set in. They will be disgraced with the way that their bodies were eaten. Blood licked up. Now we go on from here and he repents. So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. 
And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. This is not in the word of God, but you can kind of see this in there. If Ahab is going around his house in sackcloth and ashes, who do you think is going to ask about it? If she asked about why aren't you eating, she's going to be asking about why are you dressed this way. And she's going to say, because Elijah gave me a message and I am repenting before God. And how many of you think that would have gone over very well with Jezebel? So when Ahab stayed with it, and this is why it got God's attention. When Ahab stayed with it, it's because he stayed under the scrutiny of his wife and his wife telling him, take that sackcloth off. Why are you repenting before God? And he didn't give into it. So the, the repentance was genuine. And God saw it and said, all right, I'm not going to bring this about in your days. I'm going to bring it about in the days of your sons. If you're wondering why it got God's attention, that's why it did. Because Jezebel was always stirring him up to do evil. She would not have backed this kind of a plan. So when a no comes to me, what are some of the things we should do? Here's the first thing we ought to do. Do I need it? When I go and I ask for something, I need to first off ask, do I really need it? Because sometimes I can develop a need for something, but I don't really have that need. Ahab suddenly had a need. I need a vegetable garden. I need a vegetable garden. It went from a good idea to I need a vegetable garden. And even if someone has to die, I will get a vegetable garden. That was not a need on his behalf. There were plenty of vegetables in the area that he could have gotten. But no, I want a vegetable garden right here. I want to grow them. I want to make sure that they're this and they're that and whatever it might be. And so it grew into a need. First off, whenever you are asking for something that is in the hands of other people, and you think you need favor in order for that to come about. Do, and they, they said, no, I'm going to buy, can I buy that car? Can I buy that house? First off, do I need that house? Do I need that car? Do I need that thing? Do I need that one? We need to step back and ask ourselves that question. Here's another one. Is there another source? If the people said no for me buying that house, if they said no for me buying that car, if they say no for giving me that job, is there another source? Or have I put all my eggs in this one basket and if God is God, this is the one I'm going to get? Sometimes we can do that, especially with a job. We can get so looking at this job and we feel like everything is going on favorably and I get so focused in on that one job. I get so focused in on that one house. I get so focused in on that one car that if I, I, I have to have that car, that's the car, that's the house, that's the job. I've got to have that one. Don't fall into that. Is there another source? Well, is there another job? I mean, God may want you to have that job, but God may want you to even have that house. But if the people who have it say no, God's not going to change their mind just they're going to wake up one morning and say, oh, you know what? I know I said no about selling my house to this person, but I am going to, I'm going to say yes. That's not how our God works. Here's one. Have I limited my God? Am I limiting my God by saying, I have a need, it has to be this one. It has to go around this way. Here's the big one. Can I be patient? Most people would answer that yes, but in practice, it's a no. Can I be patient? If Ahab comes to Naboth and Naboth says, I cannot give you the inheritance of my fathers, 
And Ahab, Ahab says, I'll tell you what, just pray about it. Just uh, consider it and let me know if you change your mind. And if you could have waited a day or two days or three days or a week, and maybe if God wanted Ahab to have that particular vineyard, that particular place for a vegetable garden, God would have dealt with, if, if Ahab was walking in the way of God, we're kind of assuming that, God would have dealt with Naboth. And he told Naboth, Naboth, I want you to take this, this vineyard and give this one to, to Ahab. God could have done that. Be patient. Can I be patient? Can I wait for just a little bit? Or do I have to have it now? You see, a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because I have to have it now. Because I have to have it now, I get myself in trouble. I put this in your outline too. Our own impatience can be disguised in many ways. We can disguise our own impatience by saying, God told me I would have that car. God told me that this would happen now. No, the reason is I'm just impatient. Remember, we serve a God who says, Behold, I am coming quickly. And 2,000 years later, don't lose sight of what's important. It's important that we be patient. It's important that we don't get an urgency that isn't there. If I make what is, ne- what is unnecessary as if it was urgent and vital before God, if I take what is unnecessary and I go before God, God, I have to have this vegetable garden. It's got to be there. It's got to be in this place, in this vineyard. It is urgent. I've got to have that. And I take that before God. What's God saying about me? Oh, man. You poor little flesh creature. He wants us to be developed in the things of the Spirit. Not to be controlled by the flesh. But if I walk in peace, patience, contentment, and wisdom, all these things will guide my ways. These things will help me out. And God will look down upon me and say, look at that. Even though that urgency came up, that they wanted, felt like they needed, whatever it might be, look at how they just contently waited. And I can show them the way to get in there and have that done. I can listen to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God says, all right, that person said no in the interview, but you just wait for a little while and you get a phone call from somebody else in the company. And somebody else in the company says, hey, I understand you were here. I saw your, your, your resume and I'd like to have you come on in for an interview with me. But you see, because I was patient. I walked in wisdom. Don't get urgent. If something is in the hands of other people, it's not in the hands of God. But God can show you a way to get it done. Ahab never gave him a choice. Never gave him a chance in here. He went out and did it his own way. He became impatient. He reduced himself to the place of murder to get this done. Don't become impatient. Don't lose sight of the goal. The goal that God has is not in getting stuff to you, but in developing your spirit. Developing you as a spirit person. If we keep following after the things that make for flesh, God's not going to do it. Just think of it this way. Whether you have children of your own, if you can remember the days when you were children, or if you can see other people's children 
doing these particular things. How many of you can remember the times when you're walking through the grocery store and all of a sudden you saw the pack of gum, you saw the candy bar, you saw the thing of cookies on the way out of the checkout. Mama, can I have... Because we all went through that, didn't we? We all saw those things that we wanted to have. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we just ask, Mama, can I have? And Mama say, not right now, honey. We have enough sweets at home. Or something along those lines. And then what will we do? But I want it. And we would build up the urgency on the inside. I need to have that now. And what would that do inside of our parents? If they were good parents. They would become more closed to the idea of getting that for you. In fact, sometimes parents may go on to the extreme and say, if you don't drop this right now, I will never buy you another pack of gum, another candy bar, another thing of cookies. They don't necessarily mean that way, but sometimes they might, might say that. But if you saw that pack of gum, the candy bar, the thing of cookies, and you saw that, you said, Mom, can I have this? And she said, no, we have enough sweets at home. And you say, okay, Mom. What would that do to your mom? What? You're thinking, you're okay with that? No. Doesn't mean you get it right then, does it? But when you go back and you come back to the store the next time, mom could be thinking about this. And she might even say, you know what? You were so good the last time we were at the store. When we get through and get all the shopping done, and we go through the register. If there is something that you like, I want you to tell me what it is. Okay, Mom. Doesn't that just generate more of a sense on your part to meet that need? But you see, a lot of times we're, we're like the kid at the register. But God, I want it now. Get it for me. Get it for me now. I need to have that. And we're not growing in favor with God, and certainly not growing in the favor of men. Favor is the lifestyle. Live the lifestyle. Don't just live it part of the time. Live it all the time. Live it all the time. Would you all stand with me? Today is our communion Sunday. Ushers are coming. distribute the communion elements to you. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples up to the upper room and he talked with them about a change. It was a good change. He said, up till now, We've had the sacrifice of animals. Up till now, things have been different. But before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he passed it around, everyone. There, and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. I heard someone talking about the crucifixion last few weeks. And they were talking about how unnatural it was for the Romans to beat and to scourge someone who was going to be crucified. 
generally you were either beaten and scourged or you were crucified. They didn't do both. But Jesus was beaten and he was scourged because Pilate decided that's all he wanted to do. And he was hoping that that would appease the people. But the people wouldn't be appeased. And so he said, then you go and crucify him. I find no fault in him. He's judged the spotless lamb. And so he fulfilled what was said in the Old Testament. He was both beaten and scourged, even though that wasn't the practice of the Romans at the time. So Jesus said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Old Testament tells us it would be beaten. By his stripes, we are healed. The body of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with our forgiveness. It has everything to do with Jesus as our healer. He's our healer. He heals our bodies. Not just our spirits. He healed our bodies. As we eat together, let's remember that Jesus was beaten for our pains, for our sicknesses. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. Put a whole meal in between because it's two different things. When he was put on the cross, his blood was shed for us because it's on that cross he paid for our sins. It's when he went to, to hell and then to heaven that redemption was made. Let's remember as we drink together that the blood of Jesus Christ is all we need for the forgiveness of sins. We don't wonder if we are forgiven any more than we wonder if we are healed. The blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient and did it. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that by the blood of Jesus Christ we are forgiven by his body we are healed we receive those things and I thank you for giving up your son to live on this earth to be victorious over sin and to be beaten and to die for us we thank you for it and we give you the praise in Jesus name Amen before we go so one press report I wanted to read for you. You might have two. This one came from Ethel. For all the love that you as my church family poured out to me during this time, the cards, phone calls, and hugs gave me a great deal of comfort. Thank you. For those of you who weren't here last Sunday, her father, she got the news that her father passed away uh, last Sunday morning. Nikolai, I was scheduled to have a very important meeting Friday morning that was then postponed. Now having free time, I called about a discrepancy in my student loan payment. The woman on the phone was shocked that I called and said most didn't pay at all, allow the loans to go delinquent. 
because of my responsibility, she um, counseled me on how to consolidate my two loans to save on my monthly payment. She then informed me that she is a manager and then proceeded to bring my interest rate down by two points, decreasing my monthly payment by 100, up, 100 bucks. All of this wouldn't have happened if my meeting had happened. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for that, he says. And Ray, uh, about my something, oh friend, about my friend Renee, her husband is a believer and has been home from a psychiatric rehabilitation hospital for one week, uh, for one week now. That, um, I'm not sure what that next word is. Something that her children struggled daily with his severe depression and feelings of being overwhelmed. I thank, I thank God that the Lord has given her and continues to give her strength to face this assault by the enemy. And she is a believer, you said? Glory to God. Yep, God helps us to overcome whatever it is that the enemy wants to, to throw away. So praise God for that. All right, let's all stand up. Today is our covered dish dinner.